0: Hey, good morning. Nice to see you all this morning. I am Rick. I'm the campus pastor here at Wilmington, and we are in the midst of a sermon series from uh, the Hocassan campus led by our lead pastor, John Boulay, uh, entitled In the Wilderness. And in conjunction with that In the Wilderness series, I've been doing a series of teachings entitled A Theology of the City uh, in an attempt to sort of build a sense of what do we believe about the city when it comes to bringing God and the gospel to that city. And so we established a working definition a few weeks ago. A city is a, you may remember some of these points, it'd be nice if you did, a densely populated, heterogeneous, and culturally relevant geographic area that extends influence outside of itself. That's sort of the definition we have been working with. And last week we saw one of the great cities of the Bible, Nineveh, and how God looked at that city. And if you'll remember from last week, each time in the book of Jonah that Nineveh is mentioned, it is mentioned as a great city. Gadol was the Hebrew word. It is a great city. And there was multiple reasons we learned why it was great. It was great in size, three days' journey around the city. It was great in population, 120,000 people. And it was great in resources. Remember all of those cattle, the last line of the, the book? And there were so many cattle. But it was also... In great distress. It says that morally and spiritually, they did not know their right hand from their left hand. And so God sends to them a prophet. It says that the the sin of Nineveh came before the Lord's face. And he was concerned. He wanted to call out the Ninevites for their behavior, for their violence. And so he sends Nineveh in to give them a bit of a talking to. And we see the same kind of concern throughout Scripture for the city, whether it be Jerusalem or Rome or Nineveh. And so we had our first point that cities are important to God's heart. That was sort of the first maybe piece of theology about the city, that they're important to God's heart. We also saw with the success of Jonah's ministry, having only been there for a day and there being sort of mass results, that in cities, small areas of Christian faithfulness can produce widespread fruitfulness. Because somewhat of the dense population and the influence that cities hold. We see that same principle in Acts as the apostles go from city to city and essentially change entire regions because of the work they're doing in the city. To that, we add today's principle, and it is this. Race and ethnicity present both challenges and opportunities but they cannot be ignored particularly in the urban setting race and ethnicity present both challenges and opportunities but they cannot be ignored particularly in the urban setting and I say particularly in the urban setting because the principle is true for any church anywhere but it's especially egregious if we in the urban setting do not recognize this truth One of the many traits of a city is that it is heterogeneous, particularly and often in its race and its ethnic mix. And that brings challenges. What does the truth of the gospel sound like when heard by someone from a different background than my own? That's a challenge. Here's a bigger challenge. What do I perceive and understand about Christianity that is actually more part of my background and my ethnicity than it is about the heart of the gospel? Trying to figure out that can be a challenge. What does a multi-ethnic worship service even look like? That is a challenge. What should this look like on a Sunday morning if we say we understand that God's kingdom is multi-ethnic? What does that mean? that we do on a Sunday morning? That's a challenging question. It's a good question and it's a question that we in the urban environment cannot ignore. But it is also an opportunity. And from a theological standpoint, there's multiple opportunities. One opportunity of having this idea of a multi-racial and multi-ethnic mix is that it helps us to understand and learn to love all people like God loves all people. Plus, we get a taste, a little glimpse of the kingdom that's promised to us. Where people from all nations and all races and all tribes come before the throne of Christ. We get a little glimpse of that when we embrace that the kingdom is multi-ethnic and multiracial. But maybe the most important aspect of it is this multiracial and multi-ethnic experiences help us get over the idea that the gospel and the truth of the gospel and the, the restoration offered by the gospel is somehow for us and not for them, whoever the them is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe Would not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's this very lesson, this lesson that the gospel is not just for me or my people, is the very lesson that Jonah didn't get. At the end of chapter three, if you remember, there was mass repentance. Jonah went into the city one day, and it says that people from the greatest Gadol people, the greatest people, to the least repented. And we might expect that Jonah would react the way that I've actually seen it in some kids' books. I've seen a kid's book where the last page is Jonah with his arm around the king of Nineveh, and they're both smiling like a snapshot. Right? And that would be great if that's how the book of Jonah ends. But it is not. Because we have assumed from the beginning that the reason Jonah ran, remember he ran to Tarshish instead of following God's call to Nineveh? The reason that he ran, we assumed, was because Nineveh and Israel were long-standing enemies. And Jonah certainly figured, if I go there, I'm probably not coming back. I'll probably get pummeled. Surely Jonah thought, it's a violent place and they're not going to listen to the truth of God, so why would I go there? But in the beginning of chapter 4, we find that it was a very different reason. And Jonah has a very different reaction than that storybook picture. Chapter 4. But this, and that is the repentance of Nineveh. The This is the repentance of Nineveh and God's mercy on Nineveh. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this? This, what I said when I was still in my country, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious and that you are merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is a very disturbing reaction you should be disturbed by this. It is shocking and it's alarming. We find that Jonah did not run to Tarshish away from Nineveh because he was scared that God, that the Ninevites would reject God. He was scared the Ninevites would accept God and that God might actually, this is, this is Jonah's concern, might actually forgive them notice how he lists these great character traits of God, almost like they're accusations. Do you see that? I knew you were gracious. I knew you were gracious. Right? He has that kind of attitude. It's weird, right? I knew you were loving. I can't believe you. you so loving. He says, I knew that if these people repented, you would forgive them, and it makes me so angry that I could die. I knew you loved these people, and I do not. The undercurrent of racial hatred in this story is so strong that it warped Jonah's view of God, of the gospel, of redemption, of salvation, of truth. It is all warped because of his hatred of those Somehow, Jonah was willing to accept that the compassion and grace and love of God worked for him and worked for his nation, but was not available to them. And Jonah had gone down a road, this is maybe a larger, even larger principle, had gone down a road that will create trouble for all of us. It's this road, are you ready? The road of deserving leads to disaster. The road of deserving leads to disaster. Racism is just one of them. That's just one of the disasters that we go get into when we start feeling like we deserve God's grace, that we deserve God's favor, that we deserve God's blessing, that we've deserved God's rest- restoration. Because once you've decided you've deserved it, you've by default decided that someone else does not deserve it. One of the great truths of the gospel is that in spite of all the blessing of diversity and all the blessings that it is brought that it brings to every people and every nation it has one leveling effect and that is none of us deserve it and so we can love all people equally because we know that we don't deserve the love of god any more or less than anyone else And so we bring the gospel, we bring the truth of Christianity joyfully to all people, knowing that I have deserved God's grace no more than they do, and no less. So as we choose to tackle the issues of the city, we must always understand that we are also tackling the challenges and benefiting from the opportunities of race and ethnicity. So you can say, you know what, I want to deal with healthcare in the city, and I will say, bless you, but don't think you can do that without dealing with the question of race and ethnicity. You might say, I want to deal with justice in the city, and I always say, bless you, but in doing that, you will deal with the issues and the challenges and the opportunities of race and ethnicity. We cannot say, you know what, I want to deal with the education system, but I don't want to worry about race and ethnicity. You cannot do that. You cannot ignore the uh, multi-ethnic and heterogeneous nature of our world, and certainly of our city. So we want to be able to and willing to take on these challenges, though. And we want to do so, what's that list Jonah made? We want to do so with the grace, mercy, patience, and steadfast love that God has shown us. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us, and then we'll take our offering. Lord, this word from Jonah, or the person of Jonah, is relatively disturbing in his reaction to your mercy to other people. But we know in Jonah, we see ourselves. We certainly have seen ourselves with that sense of deserving, down the road of deserving. That somehow, Lord, I deserve to be treated better than you're treating me. I deserve blessings that I'm not getting. I deserve some sort of privilege that I'm not experiencing. And Lord, we understand, though, that the road of deserving leads us away from you, not towards you. I pray that we would all embrace a gospel and a truth of Christ that says it is your power and your grace, not our desert, that brings us salvation. And that we would take that same salvation to everyone, all people in a way that honors both who they are and who you are. And Lord, as we give our tithe this morning, as we give just a small portion of everything you've given us, we do so not because we're trying to pay you to give us good things. We're not trying to make ourselves more deserving of your love. We simply give because we want to see your kingdom expanded in this place. And so we give in Jesus' name.